Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today, as always, we've got an amazing guest. We have Professor Bonnie Kaplan here, who is a professor at the University of Calgary and the co-author of the book, The Better Brain. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me here today, Dave. Oh, excellent. Yeah, just let's kind of start out with uh, your journey here. I, I know that you're originally from Ohio, and then you studied at several different places and then have moved to Calgary and have been there for, for uh, over more half than half life my now. life. <laughs> let's not count the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we were to count years, you just received too an amazing reward. You, the seven over 70 award. And right. uh, if I'm not mistaken here, this is given out to people basically in the city of Calgary for the recognition and changes basically that you've made in, in health treatments and, and uh, nutritional education. Uh, Let's let's talk about all of that right now. I'll just pass it pass it over to you. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about the top seven over seventy award. You know, for years and years, uh, various um, locales have had top forty under forty, top thirty under thirty, etc. So I guess uh, I wasn't part of this, but I guess a few years ago, a group of seniors who were real movers and shakers in Calgary got together and said. Let's honor the seniors who are, and, and this is their slogan, don't retire, rewire. So they're looking for people who over the ages are over the age of 70. So now, you know, I'm old, but as if my gray hair wasn't a giveaway, but also who have started on new things after retiring and after reaching, reaching the age of 70. And so um, for me, the award is not just for writing the book, because obviously lots of seniors write books, um, but because I am trying to change the um, dialogue on how mental health should be treated. And I've also, um, as I was retiring, I set up two charitable funds because even government agencies are not interested in funding research yet on um, nutrition and mental health. And so I've, I've actually, I'm astonished, but in October, we passed a million dollars um, in terms of donors. This isn't my money. This is people who have made donations and, um, and it's all distributed. So that money is supporting really important research at um, a number of universities in Canada, the US and New Zealand. And some of the publications from that were of that money have started to come out actually. And we're trying to fundraise more. We have some um, assays of, of biosamples, which have been frozen and are waiting for analyses to ask about mechanisms, et cetera. So that's taken a lot of my time, but it's been very positive experience. People are very generous. Definitely. You've hit on so many things there that, that our, our viewers or listeners are, are definitely going to want to hear more about. Uh, the ones that come to my mind are basically your performance and aspects, uh, basically kicking butt into, into the golden years, if we're, um, and uh, your longevity there, like a lot of people have it on their, their goal is to write a book and not many people do. And, and you're, you're doing it and not just that something that's being recognized and awarded as, as being new and innovative in this, this area. Um, what has gotten you to, basically have that drive and continue continue on with this when uh, a lot of people would would basically tire out with with just writing well someday i'll sit in the rocking chair dr hardy but not yet <laughs> but uh what really drove me to write the book and i have a co-author very important co-author uh professor julia Rutledge, who is originally a canadian and did her graduate work with me at university of calgary over 20 years ago but then she moved to new zealand so she's at the University of Canterbury and Christchurch. Okay. <clears throat> and what drove us to write this book had nothing to do really with my retirement, except it freed up a bit of time, um, was frustration. We're, we're really upset that there is a huge evidence base 
on the importance of nutrition and the lack of side effects and the greater health that you can achieve for your brain with nutrition and conventional medicine won't pay any attention to it. So um, recently I've taken to uh, presenting, presenting it this way, if I may, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, if you uh, break a leg, if you, uh, you know, have some kind of injury and you go to the hospital, you assume that you will be treated based on the best, most complete up-to-date evidence base that is out there. Same thing is true if you're dealing with a chronic disease or arthritis or the onset of cancer, whatever. When you go seek medical care, you can you assume, and for good reason, I think, that you will be treated with the most up-to-date research. Maybe not when we get to the gut, but that's your bailiwick, okay? But you can assume if you're going to seek treatment for mental health that you by definition will not be treated with the most complete evidence base. And that is because all of mental health treatment look is based on pharmaceutical company research. Right. And pharmaceutical company research is um, paid for by the pharmaceutical companies. We're finding out you know, uh, gradually over time, that it is in fact somewhat corrupted by that infusion of money. And it's not enough just to give your disclosure statement. It's simply biased because they're paying for the data. Um, and they, and the mental health treatment systems are completely wed to that approach. So they have these blinders on and they won't look at the nutrition research almost all of which is independent of any kind of industry money and right. shows tremendous benefit, sometimes way more than like antidepressant medication, long-term benefit and no side effects except good ones. You know? right. So um, that is, you know, why do we accept that in our society? We wouldn't accept it if we went and, and uh, had to emergency with a broken bone, if we didn't, I mean, we just wouldn't accept not being treated based on the complete body of evidence. Right. So yeah. that, that led us to write the book too. No, that is such, such a driver. And uh, as like, you know, uh, in our previous conversations, I've practiced both in, in the US and Canada and uh, of course, there's so many differences in the systems, but uh, moving back to Canada, what I found is it's very much what I call in the box medicine and healthcare that to practice anything that's kind of out of the traditional norms is, is almost punished. And even if those traditional norms, uh, as you had mentioned, are the ones that aren't up to date, and uh, public perception is around, once again, as you mentioned, that if you go to your providers, that you're going to be given uh, the most up-to-date uh, treatment protocols and everything else. And uh, I, I just have to, once again, can commend you for the work you're doing to, to really uh, make awareness that there's a lot of research that has gone into this area of care. And as you mentioned, the, um, the research on the other side with the side effects and everything else of kind of some of these traditional methods um, just aren't, aren't working and serving the public well. Um, the really amazing thing about your book um, is, and I've got to be honest, like the first time I saw the title, I'm like, okay, uh, another nutrition book. This is going right. to be passed around the same circles of people that, that are in the know about it. And then I, I dove deeper into it. And uh, in my opinion, the thing that differentiates your book from others is just how well researched it is on the nutrition side of things, that there are all these, these uh, studies out there. And then the other thing is how relevant you make it with basically disaster areas. Uh, you dive into <laughs> micronutrients with uh, disasters from the Christchurch earthquakes into 
uh, the flooding in, in High River, and then, of course, what's going on now with mental health during the, the pandemic. So it's very relevant to all the stress that people are under. Um, how would you say that, that uh, the information you're providing is, again, different from others, but also moving this movement forwards and, and building momentum with things? Well, thanks for mentioning the uh, resilience chapter um, and also the fact that it's written by two scientists. I mean, I'm, re I'm retired, I'm a professor emerita and uh, Julia is very, very active researcher, but um, we've both you know, done a lot of the research on nutrition and mental health. So um, that's not true of a lot of the books on nutrition that are out there. It's, they're not written by scientists and you can tell there, they really gloss over things. And anyway, but there is one other thing I'd like to bring up. And it's something that I like to point out because I get asked all the time, like, why the heck did you write another book about nutrition? There's so many out there. There isn't even room in our bookstores for, you know, all the books on nutrition. And it's great that people are interested, but I'm going to, if you'll remind me, I'll prove to you that it's having no impact. They're having no impact on people anyway, uh, or trivial impact. So if you look at all the nutrition books out there, right. the vast majority are on uh, physical health, diabetes, obesity, et cetera. Makes sense, um, sort of. But there are very few on brain health. Uh, there are a few on brain health though. And, but even they are, in my opinion, superficial because mm -hmm. they only say, I, call, I actually call them, they shake their finger in your face. They say, eat this, eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that. Well, that, I mean, parents out there, that's not the way you change behavior. Right. And in fact, the latest data shows they're not changing behavior. People continue, and because I agree with everything they say, which is basically eating whole foods, Mediterranean style diet and get rid of the junk out of your diet, etc. They're not having an impact according to, to the latest data from both the US government and the Canadian government. And I can give you some uh, citations on that if you want. There's something that, that um, Julia and I have discovered in our talks that people tell us changes their behavior. And that is we explain why improving your diet improves your mental health. Oh. Now we, we of course, mention, I mean, we have a brief section on the microbiome. We're both experimental and, and Julie's uh, also a clinical psychologist. So we focus more on brain stuff and less on the microbiome. But we, what we're aware of is that people don't know what the word cofactor means. It's such right. a simple concept. I teach it down to grade six whenever I have the chance to get into a group of, of uh, educating kids. Very simple idea. But even the, the psychiatrists I used to work with had no idea that minerals and vitamins were important to brain health. And I'm not disparaging them because guess what? I didn't know that either. And I was trained in physiological psychology, psychophysiology, and then I did a postdoc in neurophysiology. This is all down neurosciences, all down in the States before I moved up to Canada. And I didn't understand the importance of micronutrients for brain health. So I can remember saying to people that this cannot be very important for right. mental health, you know? And that's what these physicians who I worked, I was always in medical faculties and that's what they would say to me. They were trained the same way I was. So in chapter two of our book, just to get to a positive note, we put in a very simplified diagram of a, a section of the brain metabolism of one neurotransmitter, which is serotonin, tryptophan serotonin pathway. And what we show is what micronutrients are needed in this tiny little corner of one pathway. Right. And why, <clears throat> why, I mean, you can't look at that and come away and say, oh, I guess I'll take vitamin, you know, X, Y, Z um, to fix my brain. Because what you come away with is, oh, you need all of the micronutrients, the minerals and vitamins that you can get to make your brain pathways work optimally, okay? That is not taught in school yet. It would be so easy to teach it in school. And so um, that's what we provide in our book. I have had people 
I, I, I'll just end with this anecdote because I tell this one all the time. After Thanks. lectures, people will come up and in the days when it, they weren't on Zoom, they would come up and approach me and, and okay. chat. And several times people would say to me, Bonnie, I'm sorry, I'm, I think I'm going to forget everything else you said, but I'm going to remember that slide, which at first they, everybody kind of goes, ooh, uh, you know, brain metabolism, ooh, that's not what I want to learn. But when I explain it to them, they say, that's the one that's going to make me change the way I eat. Because every time I put a piece of food in my mouth, I'm choosing to feed that, those pathways or not. Right. So that is a big difference between our book and others. We explain why you should change. We don't just say, oh, you should, you know, <laughs> you should do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the another issue with, with diet and nutrition world is so much focus is on what you can't eat versus basically what you can have that is delicious and drives you basically to to wanting more of that good food because it tastes good and you know it's actually doing something good for you. Now, you guys actually have a recipe section in your book, don't you? We do. It's very popular, actually. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because uh, we were not keen to have a chapter of recipes, but uh, now we're seeing that people really want to hear from us. So we put a few things in there that are our own personal favorites, like my morning veggies um, is in there and Julia's uh, granola recipe is in there. So we had fun with it in the end. And more importantly, by the way, mm -hmm. um, preceding the recipes, um, Dr. Hardy, people don't understand that you don't eat it. If you don't buy it, you don't eat it. So right. the decision making is much more important when you're purchasing things. If mm. you don't buy it, you don't eat it unless your spouse is buying it and you, you know, right? then, right, then it's yeah. marital issue maybe. <laughs> and so we, we do have, before the recipes, we have a section on what you might want, what you might not want and how to purge your pantry and that kind of thing. So, okay. Yeah. Now, a lot of these, these nutrients, um, we're finding more and more that uh, the foods we're eating are void of them that yeah. the nutrient content has actually decreased and declined. Um, can you kind of speak to what, what's going on with our food supply then that, that's, yeah. that's causing this and what's, what's missing out of the food then? So one of the uh, most wonderful experiences of the past few years for me is getting introduced to the agricultural world and being invited to give talks to farm producers quite a few times. And they are thrilled to close the loop that and to find out that what they're doing to try to restore the soil is so important for human brain health. So I, I can't say I'm an expert in their field, but I have learned a bit. And so um, you functional physicians talk about the human microbiome as if it's the only microbiome, but I know you know it's not the only one. And oh, so we, we have a half a chapter on the soil microbiome in our book. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting that people don't appreciate how important it is to have roughly 15 minerals in the soil, along with all the microorganisms and fungi, which are, are doing all the important things they need to make plants grow and transfer sugar and so forth. So we review that and, excuse me, we have this very simple diagram in the book that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of analogous to me. People say uh, that you can ask a lot of children, where does, uh, I don't know, where does a, a roast come from? And they don't know. It comes in a package from the store. They don't know about the, you know, the animal. Well, a lot of people don't know where their vitamins and minerals come from. So we explain right. very simply that in healthy soil, that you should have about 15 minerals approximately. And, um, the crops absorb the minerals and the crops do something that you and I cannot do. They synthesize vitamins, roughly right. 15 of them. And then we come along and we eat the, I mean, we can synthesize tiny amounts of B vitamins in our gut, but, but even then it's not us doing it. Right. It's the, right. Uh, it's the microbes in our gut. We're completely useless anyway. So um, we come along we eat the plants. So we consume roughly 
in, if it's been healthy soil, healthy plant growth, um, we consume roughly 30 vitamins and minerals, or we eat the animals that ate the plants. And that's how we get our micronutrients because we really can't synthesize very many of them. And the other thing I like to point out to people is, um, and again, this was easier when I was giving talks in front of people. Person, yes, yep. Yeah, I would ask, well, um, where do you get your serotonin? Everybody knows serotonin is the feel, one of the feel good neurotransmitters, right? So well, where do you get your serotonin? And it's a trick question because right. um, there is no food. So I ask about a food source. There is no food source of serotonin. There's food sources of the vitamins and minerals, which enable the metabolism, the metabolic pathways to work because you know the enzymes are so dependent upon them. And our, again, our clever little brains, which <laughs> you and I can't do this, but our brains know how to manufacture the serotonin that we need and break it down and so forth. So that's the sequence that, that we learn, but it all starts in the soil. There's a famous quotation from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I think about um, the health of a nation being dependent on the health of the soil. And it's absolutely true and very, very important. So we are in trouble uh, with our soil and there are a lot of reasons for it. Climate change is one of them, um, mm -hmm. but certainly glyphosate is the big red flag. And glyphosate is the, the um, primary ingredient in Roundup. And right. some of the food producers have told me that 97% of the arable land in North America is saturated with glyphosate. Wow. Are you familiar with the book called Toxic Legacy, which explains by Stephanie Senna. Um, it explains uh, how glyphosate is um, really harming us. And, and, and here's a very important point. Our government agencies look at safety only in terms of cancer. Right. Okay. That's ridiculous. Okay. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, all the endocrine disruptors and the glyphosate interfering with the pathways, which including in the microbiome of our healthy gut microbes, um, these are important things and they're associated with a lot of central nervous system changes. Right. So, so when you make your presentations then to the agricultural industry, mm. what sort of feedback have you, you gotten back? Um, Cause like we look at uh, the crops that are grown in Alberta and uh, of course, the, uh, a large one is used to be called Roundup Ready Canola. And, uh, and it's, it's beautiful crops you, you, see, you see in the fields, but uh, once again, yeah, it's very heavy on the, on the chemicals there and, and has been yeah. a big part of the production for, for a long time now. And uh, what sort mm. of feedback are you getting from the industry then? Well, it's like a, a lot of things, you know, the system has to change so that farmers are rewarded for quality and not quantity. Right. And it's very, very hard. I mean, there's a, a big effort to improve regenerative agriculture and reduce pesticides and herbicides. But when I say it's big, it's like, because that's what I read. Those are the people I talk to. They're, they're not, you know, the majority of food producers at all. They're not the big factory farms. They're completely mm -hmm. reliant on, on chemicals. So um, it's just a gradual awakening, but it's too gradual. I mean, we really need to educate more people. I'll tell you that the, um, there should have been a big outcry, of, and I, I don't think it was big enough, about, I think it was two to three, it must have been three years ago. We measure everything according to two years ago was the pandemic, right? So it must've been three years ago. Health Canada, which had regulated um, Roundup so that it could be sprayed on crops only in the early part of plant life, opened up the opportunity to use it as a desiccant at the end of the plant's life to dry out wet crops so they're more easily harvested. And there is a growing amount of evidence that that is exposing us to much higher levels of glyphosate. Um, and all they care about is, well, the cancer, the carcinogen aspect is still not, uh, what is it? They have levels of risk and it's still not the highest level. So um, at any rate, the, um, I think that we're, we're experimenting uh, 
kind of on the whole population who you, you can't always eat organic, right? No, nobody can, it's just too expensive. We have to try to, I mean, you didn't ask me this question, but let me tell you what I think we should be doing to try to make things a bit better. Okay. One is really to, to try to buy from farmers markets, get to know the farmers, ask about their efforts to um, do no-till and, and composting and the other kinds of things that will decrease reliance on um, pesticides and herbicides and let them know that you're interested and support them. Um, they have to make a living and it's, uh, it's hard. It's, it's very hard for them to kind of go it alone. Mm -hmm. Buy organic at least part of the time. I know I started getting in the habit of I was going to just one of the general grocery stores of always going to the organic section first and trying to get one or two items. There are some things I just, you know, I don't buy there. And I mean, I might be buying 10 or 15 produce items, but I try to support it somewhat. If everyone did that, we would be, trying to change the system a bit. And then do, I mean, whatever your uh, 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 energy level is, you have to include trying to reduce the carbon dioxide. I mean, we have right. to stop global warming because it's been shown very clearly that um, even though you, you would think that more carbon dioxide in the air would be good for plants because plants eat it up and they grow faster, right? right. But they're, they're not nutrient dense. They're like bigger sugar bombs. So that's a real problem. We need to, I mean, we all, for lots of reasons, need to pay attention to the climate change problem. Right. Actually, I think you just hit on another amazing point right there is basically that, that the food chain too has become more starchy, that there is actually less fiber in a lot of the foods as well, which causes that big spike and then dip in the blood sugar levels, which is just toxic for the brain. And then That's of course right. we, we talked about gly, glyphosate and, and kind of avoiding the chemicals for your brain though, what are other foods to avoid? Oh, well, I mean, the ideal diet is, uh, it's been known for years. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, Dr. Andrew Weil talked about it years and years ago, he called it true food. Michael Pollan came along and talked about it as uh, real, he said, just eat real food, more right. plants and less of it. Um, nobody can beat that quote. That is absolutely <laughs> encapsulates everything. In our book, we talk about a Mediterranean style diet. Um, I, I want to say something about, uh, because you brought up this issue of sugar spikes, which is huge in mental health and right. uh, sugar addiction. It's, mm -hmm. it's a really big problem. There are more and more programs to try to help people uh, decrease their addiction. I, I don't know if everyone accepts that word or not. I don't care, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, their craving of sugar. Um, and it's people say that improving their nutritional intake um, by taking micronutrients in pill form or just improving their diet decreases their craving. So a lot of that craving is, uh, and, and you can't do it overnight. I, I mean, oh, it's no. the, the withdrawal effects are much too severe. I'll bet you deal with that in some patients, right? You probably transition them slowly. Oh, absolutely. And in myself as well. Um, I know I'm very prone to, to basically blood sugar dysregulation. And uh, oh. my mental clarity really hinges on how well I'm processing sugars and fats. And mm. uh, I've, I've noticed it with myself, uh, especially. And it's kind of been one of these journeys. Uh, to improve my own brain health as well. And uh, it's, it's definitely a factor out there that uh, we talk about the blood sugar dysregulation. And, uh, and then of course, the supplements I've, I've seen with some patients, when I was doing the functional medicine in the US that uh, sometimes they couldn't get in fast enough to see their, their doctor to get their medications adjusted, when we put them on a very kind of uh, some people would call it aggressive diet. I'd call it a, a normal diet and, and with the proper supplements to kind of, once again, get the insulin receptors to, to do their job properly. And, uh, it's amazing what can be done for, for blood sugar dysregulation. And, uh, and of course the, the brain is one of those organs that can't store its own 
fuel supply. So it's mm -hmm. reliant on the, the, the body to get it to it. And if there is a spike or a dip in those fuel supplies, then it's, it's very toxic for the brain and results in all sorts of things. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it back to you on this one. Uh, what micronutrients though are you talking about when you're talking about uh, uh, brain function and supplementation then? Well, um, the research that, uh, that has been done on micronutrient supplementation falls into a few categories. Mm -hmm. um, you can go back uh, to the 1920s is the earliest I've been able to find scientific reports of single nutrients to treat mental health. Okay. And if I remember reading one paper from about 1929 and it, people were so excited, they thought they had found the solution for schizophrenia with, by giving people manganese because one or two people got a bit better, but you know, one, one nutrient at a time, all you need to do is look at a metabolic pathway in the brain or look at the complexity that you look at in terms of the microbiome and you'll quickly understand why there is no magic bullet. Don't look for a thing. If your friends say, oh, I've heard that vitamin blah, blah, blah is really good for depression. If you tried it, um, you should immediately be suspicious because mm -hmm. there is no study. You know, I mean, we've spent millions of dollars, million, maybe billions as a society looking right. at one nutrient at a time. And mm -hmm. I include in that the vitamin D story. Vitamin D is not going to fix depression on its own. Very important vitamin, but all of them are. Um, right. And the omega-3 fatty acids, um, big excitement. It was gonna solve everything. Very important for integrity of cellular walls, but it's not gonna solve everything. So forget mm -hmm. one nutrient at a time. Um, in contrast, those of us who have studied a broad spectrum, which is like 25 to 30 of the vitamins and minerals have had significant success. And that includes the work that Julie and I have done and includes people in several different countries around or areas around here, but also some European studies that were about 25 micronutrients. Um, unfortunately, the European formulas are not, uh, you can't replicate them. They just, each study went and kind of pulled things off the shelf. So um, the work that has been done on two formulas from Alberta um, is the most solid body of data right now because it's been replicated. You know, we have a formula that you can study. None of the researchers has ever taken a dime from the company. So we're all independent researchers and our results are replicating each other across multiple sites. So um, I just wanna say before I turn it back to you, there's one other area that is not appreciated very well. And I like to point this out because it relates to resilience and that's okay. what we're all concerned about during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, there's a very solid body of research on a few vitamins, specifically the B complex and high dose B vitamin for B vitamins, plural, for uh, slowing of cognitive decline, B complex in the general population, improving resilience, enabling people to cope better with stress. None of this says uh, that B vitamins is going to fix a mental health disorder. There's not even anecdote of somebody getting rid of depression or ADHD or anything like that with B vitamins. But Obviously, they're very important in the brain. And so there is, there are at least eight placebo controlled randomized trials, more than eight, um, showing improved resilience in the general population. And it's cheap and easy, you know? So if there are any listeners out there who are struggling just to feel that they're coping well enough, um, you might want to just go get an over the counter B complex, pop one every morning after breakfast. So there's food in your stomach and don't be startled if your urine turns day glow yellow, because that's just excess riboflavin. And um, I know people who take that for general um, resilience and energy. Nice. I think that's, that's also very valid is that basically a lot of people out there are going to be subclinical. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're not struggling with something or that they don't want that extra performance as well. And uh, the, the great thing about this as well is that 
it's to help everybody. And uh, kind of the analogy I've used for years is that the supplementation, the nutrients, they're building blocks for good, healthy tissue and cells, whether it's a neuron, whether it's a muscle, um, it's all tissue and they all need these, these nutrients in order to survive and thrive. And uh, if we take them away, there's going to be consequences. And we're seeing both. We're seeing them being taken away. And we're seeing a lot of people that, that are struggling in some form or another that uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they're at a diagnosed stage. And, uh, and the, the key there is then to, to once again, look at that performance aspect versus everything as being a disease or waiting until it gets out of hand for people. And uh, I, I'd like to, once again, just, just really thank you for, for bringing up that, that point that uh, we all need these nutrients. And uh, then when things get a little more complex, though, we're also seeing that these are, these are helping. Like you dived into a few disorders there in your book um, and how micronutrients and, and supplements have helped them. Uh, what are kind of a couple of the, the really good success stories you've, you've uh, had with, with these? Well, we have lots of stories and anecdotes and case studies in there in addition to uh, an overview written for the general public. I think you would agree. We try and, uh, we, we paid someone to look at all of our wording and get rid of our jargon. So it's, it's really for the general public mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but I, I like to, I sometimes say that God did not design our brain with the DSM in hand. And so, right. um, you know, we might select people with say ADHD for a clinical trial as has been done um, because we want to be able to publish the results in a psychiatric journal. So you have to prove that your participants met criteria for some mm -hmm. disorder. But they come back and they tell us, oh, you didn't ask us about this, this, and this, and all these other symptoms got better too, better energy, better sleeping, less constipation, more um, lifting of brain fog, whatever. Um, if you look at, so I'm not gonna uh, too much deal with categories. We had to put some cate diagnostic categories in our yeah. subtitle, but it irritates me um, <laughs> because I really think that what we're doing is improving overall brain health. Mm -hmm. The theme across 40-some um, peer-reviewed studies using broad spectrum uh, formulas from Alberta, um, what they show is that regardless of the diagnostic category, the um, grouping of symptoms which are the most likely to improve the quickest, the best, et cetera, all fall in the category of mood regulation. Well, oh. where do we have mood dysregulation? We have it in depression. We have it in bipolar disorder. We have irritability, which is a mood regulatory problem across a whole host of categories. Meltdowns, that's a mood dysregulation. So it's all the ability to self-manage your mood. And um, we tell some stories in there of children in particular where it's, it's just really changed. And in fact, um, I'm going to throw in my website here, Dr. Hardy, if that's yes, okay, because do, I have some videos, including of like one family um, in particular, where you get to meet the boy whose life was changed. Um, and it's a short video, I think about four minutes on my webpage. So um, there are too many Bonnie Kaplan's in the world. I always say that. So um, my website had to use my middle initial. So it's Bonnie J. Kaplan. So it's B-O-N-N-I-E-J Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N.com. So Bonnie J. Kaplan.com. You can obviously, you can link to our book there. Um, and by the way, it just came out in paperback. I don't think I mentioned that to you before, but about three weeks ago. So it's a lot cheaper now. And I think you can still um, buy it uh, on Kindle for $1.99 right now because it's Mental oh. Health Awareness Month. I don't know when you're going to be airing this, so I don't know if that'll still be true. Um, at any rate, the um, uh, website also gives you a lot of videotapes, podcasts like this one, lectures, and some of those snapshots into people's lives. So um, please feel free to take a look at that. Excellent. 
that is definitely a resource that people need to check out and and have 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 a better better picture of what's going on and what can be done for people oh yeah um, there are some tips there's a tab called tips for clinicians you might want to look at i mean it, it deals in part with how to even introduce the topic now you would as a functional medicine specialist you wouldn't have this problem but you probably are aware some physicians are very or i should say clinicians are not comfortable introducing the topic of diet to their patients in part because they know their own diet is not very good and they feel it's patronizing so we provide some wording for that and we make some suggestions about what to change first in diet that's perfect that's that's the leadership that's needed and in order for these changes, changes to happen. And, uh, and uh, yeah, once again, just amazing, amazing stuff. Now let's dive into basically um, where are you going with this from here? What's kind of your ultimate mission here? Like you've raised over a million dollars for research. Uh, and I know you're, you're not a person to, to stop. You're on a mission here to, to improve the lives of a lot of people. What are your next steps? So as I was retiring, I set myself two tasks. One was knowledge translation, and one was raising money for my junior colleagues who were leaving the field. I mean, we don't have enough people. I mean, if anyone out there is interested in doing research and knows how to do research on nutrition and mental health, contact me, please. All of that million dollars is distributed. And by the way, that's a million dollars Canadian. Um, <laughs> I should mention that because um, I, I set up two charitable funds. One is in the US and one is in Canada. And if you translated what we've right, raised yeah, together, yeah. it doesn't yeah. make a million in US yet, but maybe we will. So I need to find more researchers continue to raise money to fund research and, and also to do all the proper analyses. Um, if I have a minute, I'll come back and tell you about one trial that was just published and the kinds of money that they need and why it's so important. Yeah, we're the on knowledge... Let's dive into it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then remind me to come back to knowledge translation. So <laughs> the Maddie, the Maddie trial micronutrients in ADD youth. So it's a cute little acronym, the Maddie trial. Um, it was published after our book came out. So I, I think we mentioned in the book that it was in progress, but we didn't have the results yet. It's a replication of one of Julia Rutledge, well, two of Julia Rutledge's RCTs in, in ADHD, one in adults and one in children. All of these are in major psychiatric journals, by the way, British okay. Journal of Psychiatry, the Maddie trial, uh, was selected as the cover article for the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. And um, what they it was a multi-center trial, and my funds kicked it off. They did get some additional funds elsewhere too, but um, I think more than half the money actually came from my do my donors. Right? <laughs> See, I'm not I don't get any of the money because I'm not doing the research. So I get the have the fun of handing out the money to worthy researchers. Nice. Anyway, Dr. Jenny Johnstone at the Oregon Health and Science University is the PI. A second site was University of Lethbridge in Alberta. So we have US and Canada. And the third site was Ohio State University. So multi-center, multi-country, multi-IRBs, uh, ethics review boards to deal with. And they had to deal with both FDA and Health Canada. What fun is that? Well, the publication, um, they're going to have many publications from the study. Their main finding was uh, that they replicated the earlier studies from New Zealand that showed um, that you get a big placebo effect when people take large capsules. But the people when they broke the blind at the end, the, the children who were taking the real thing, the micronutrients, uh, were, uh, had a much larger effect, much greater benefit, especially in those symptoms involving mood regulation. Um, and so that was the main finding. And by the way, just one little other finding that I want to mention, not my wheelhouse at all, but physical health, they were measuring the children and the children on the micronutrients in just, I'm forgetting if theirs was eight weeks or 12 weeks, doesn't matter, but a short time period um, grew eight millimeters more. 
And if you extrapolate that out to a year, that's 3.6 centimeters. So I mean, our children really are undernourished. And that's what the government data shows is that more than half of what our children and adults are eating is from ultra processed products with, they're virtually devoid of, of vitamins and minerals. So we have a real nutritional problem. We call it hidden brain hunger, real nutritional problem. But here's the other thing about the Maddie trial. They collected uh, a whole variety of uh, tissue samples. They're going to be looking at um, genetics and epigenetics. Julia has already published on epigenetics uh, in people exposed to micronutrients and it looks very interesting. So they've got saliva samples for that. Um, oh, and they also are going to look at cortisol levels. They are going to look at, uh, they've got poop samples for looking at microbiome and Julia has already published on improved diversity of microbiome in a pilot study in children in New Zealand. So we need to know more about microbiome changes. Um, they've got hair samples for uh, minerals, serum samples, and they're analyzing, oh, and urine samples for looking at glyphosate, which we oh. really want to find out whether or not glyphosate, we want to know, maybe I should have started out by explaining this. No study has ever found that micronutrients um, help 100% of the participants. And we want to know who will benefit. You see, we, we can't measure, all we can measure right now, including you clinicians, you do the best you can doing a lot of tests on your patients, but none of you, none of any of us can study uh, or test for what an individual brain needs for optimal function. There is no measure of that, no direct measure. So we're trying to figure out what predicts benefit from being treated with micronutrients. I should have given that as the overall heading first. And so we're trying to raise money for um, these assays. I think um, that's important though, is that people need to know just the complexity of the system. And we're not looking at basically eliminating one, one symptom here out of a huge symptom checklist that, that really just is semantics and doesn't look at absolute findings in, in people. And uh, yeah, the more findings we can have and the more improvements we see in those findings, the translation into performance and decreased symptoms happens. And uh, it is a very, very complex system. It's, it's not looking at just, okay, let's knock out this symptom and then make sure the side effects aren't too bad. This is absolutely diving into the, the multiple different metabolic immune and stimulation pathways that there are in the, the nervous system and the human body. And it's just rich that we're starting to be able to do that instead of once again, just kind of going off, okay, do you, do you feel better type thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a huge undertaking and uh, it's, it's a lot more difficult than just a random controlled trial on, on thousands of people to eliminate one symptom. This is mm -hmm. once again, a factor of N equaling one. So looking at one person's improvement. And uh, I always kind of make the, the analogy that a good researcher is trying to boil it down to, to one or two things that's going to improve the lives of thousands of people. And then a clinician though, should be looking at thousands of different sources of information to improve the lives of one person, the right. one in front of them. And I think that's ignored when we concentrate too much just on the research is that's that right. there's a lot of research out there and it, it needs to be applied to individuals. And there needs to be the, the three pillars of evidence-based care provided to the population. And that being... Yeah, the research, which is such an important part of it. And that seems to be the focus when you hear evidence-based care. But it's also the clinician's knowledge and expertise and also the patient's preference and what they're searching for. And I think that's really been, uh, excuse the language, but bastardized lately. Mm. Is that, yeah, we're not concentrating on all three of those to help that individual person out. And uh, 
the, the knowledge that your book and yourself are providing in this huge mountain of information is, is just amazing. And on that point, is there one, not to put it down to, into one thing, but kind of a takeaway that people can take from this, this podcast and apply to their lives? Well, um, to me, it's all a matter of knowledge translation. We need to learn about what nutrients are doing for their, our brains. Um, and not just if you have a mental disorder. I mean, just right. for anybody for optimal function. And then try to feed our brains what they need, and we will feel better. Yeah, definitely. And and by the way, that's also the way to get rid of the stigma. Our mm. governments are always throwing money out at stigma of mental health. What stigma is there with the diagnosis that we had about 120 years ago? that um, in the People's Home Library, which was the source a summary of the wisdom of the day, said that if someone was showing emotional mental health problems, it was mm. a sign of, and this is a direct quote, imperfect nutrition. There's no <laughs> stigma related to that. Just go eat better. Exactly. Yes. I couldn't agree more with you there. Yeah. And if people want to take away stigma, concentrate on improvement. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's what you provide. So once again, if people were to, to look you up or to uh, go to your website, how would they find you? It's bonniejkaplan.com. You'll find uh, my book there and all kinds of videos and tips and resources and lists of publications, whatever you want. Right. And you can contact me there too. Perfect. So everyone listening, definitely, definitely go to that and look up once again, the research evidence-based nutritional on performance and improving your brain. For the hearty brain, once again, thank you very much and stay tuned to the next episode, which will dive into this amazing topic and the mission of improving your performance and building a better brain. Thank you and stay tuned.